How's it going? My name is Jameson Wellborn, and this is RJ. We are uh, we are actually missing our third counterpart today, Brian. He is tied up, but uh, we've got a super special guest today that we're super excited about. It's our first guest on the show. We're going to be bringing in Colin Palmer, uh, a true OG in the space um, of Vessel Life Science. Um, super excited about this. He's been, you know, uh, an, an original on Hash Church and you know, been doing a lot in the space and, and very excited to talk about him. So without further further ado, we're going to bring him on. Hey guys, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming hey, on. Thanks for taking the time, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries, man. Excited. Absolutely. Well, like I want to like just dive in because I think like there's a lot to unpack here. Like I think that, you know, we're going to be, you know, taking some deep dives down some rabbit holes. So like, you know, I've, digested and consumed you know all the information i could about you out there and, and i think that there's a ton to unpack but like i think the w the best way to start is kind of just give us a background about you know your journey up into cannabis this to this point i know you, your relationship with with the plant started very young and kind of just give everybody a background who doesn't know you know who called palmer is and, and how you got started in cannabis and i know you're you know we're majorly involved in in music side of things and Kind of, I think we're going to lead into that later. So just sort of start out with the cannabis journey and, and, and then we'll kind of come back to, to the musical side of things. Yeah, no worries. Great. So, um, yeah, so for me, it started at a, a really young age. You know, I have, I have two brothers that were, um, you know, heavily influential and along with a, gr a large group of friends that they had that were, you know, around us growing different types of, of you know, cannabis, uh, at an early age. And I was given and gifted seeds by all of these individuals. And, um, ultimately I started growing around really, I, you know, 14, 15, I was playing around with things, 15, 16, I was really growing things. And, um, you know, I started all these plants and, um, you know, I started just diving into, uh, growing cannabis cause I grew up in an agricultural um, kind of lots of farms around me, lots of open space and, and lots of the ability to actually plant these things and, and actually grow them, um, quite large. And, and, you know, at that age, you know, the 12, 13 foot plant was, uh, you know, was quite a sight, you know, cause you're, you're just exploring and you're, you're kind of, uh, this giddy young sponge that's just soaking everything up. And, uh, so what, what, what were the first things you grew? Like, what were those seeds that you were gifted? So a lot of the seeds that I was gifted was from, um, was, were just like, it seemed like old skunk varietals that were very, uh, very like just really skunky and, uh, really cat piss like, um, in nature. And then I was gifted, um, a lot of things that were very terpenoline forward that wouldn't finish very well and weren't very, you know, uh, very airy by in, in structure. And a lot of this stuff wasn't quite honestly, very good, um, cannabis. And then through the, you know, growing lots of different types of bag seed and different things that were given to you, um, that became, you know, apparent to me that they all have a personality and there there's, there's a difference between, uh, a lot of these things. And, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm really intrigued by iteration and, and immediacy in terms of, you know, uh, doing you know, whether it's like art, you know, you, you get an immediate response from it, you know, and that's kind of how, you know, cannabis growing for me was really, really, uh, intriguing because of that. You could, you could see the results of, of the things that you were doing and, 
you know, I, I really like to hone in on, on all of those attributes of, of learning about the, whether it was why a plant went too long into November and why others finished earlier. And at that, at that age, that those are the basic things you're trying to learn about. What was that age? Like, what was that age when it like, were plants always that to you or was there like a, a clearly defining moment when, you know, you were growing two plants side by each and, um, that kind of clicked that, oh my God, there's this diversity within, you know, and, and not understanding fully what you, what you, what you were at or, you know, was, was there a, like, was there an epiphany type moment for you with plants at a young age and, and what age was that if, if there was? Yeah. So that was around 16 for me where I started really saying to myself, wow, um, this is, this is different, you know? And, um, you know, that's when we started really paying attention to what varietals were around us at the time. And, Hey, this is more, you know, delimining forward at the time. We didn't know what these words were, but smell like lemon to me, the, you know, very, very human terms were coming to mind, you know, very culinary ask terms as, as, you know, we see today still, um, you know, that's what I started really noticing. And then, you know, I started asking questions on BCGA, which is the British Columbia Growers Association and people like Vic High and old timer. And, uh, you know, Eric 77 was on there, I believe, uh, IMGC and all, all these other individuals that were later on, you know, laughing moon and then then eventually that turned into overgrow, but I started asking questions and that also heavily influenced me because there was immediacy on information and I could mm -hmm. take that back and, and learn from Vic and what old timer was talking about. And also I, I must say, I, I do remember, um, um, seeing, uh, brothers Grimm on there quite often as well. So, um, you know, I, all these individuals, which are, are much older than I am were feeding me a lot of information that I could then iterate on. And that's when I started correlating things and started reading about, you know, okay, so these are catalogs of seeds. Okay. Now I have things to look at that they re resemble. Okay. This must resemble the, you know, these phenotypes and chemotypes yep. now resemble this. And it was that type of stuff that was allowing me to bridge the gap at a time that was really, really fetal and, you know, just, just very vulnerable as a, as a, as a grower, you know, you your very first stages, you know, you're learning about like, what is an F1 and F2, yeah. you know, what are thrips, you know, like all these things you, you quickly learn about, um, pretty, pretty quick, quick, you know, by, by design. And, um, that's kind of what drove me to getting really into it is I can make things, I can make sprays, I can make teas, I could, you know, I can make, I could create, you know, and those were the things and parts of it that sucked me in at a really young age and kind of allowed me to, you know, incorporate photography and, you know, kind of just blend all these things that I really like to do, which is just make things and, um, see the results of them. And, and that's honestly the spirit of, of kind of science and art in, in a lot of respect is, you know, those things drew, drew me in and they, they kept me there, you know, I mean, let's face it. Um, I remember getting cuttings from Eric 77 at one point when I was really young, like eight. 17 or 18 or something and um a note came with it and it said if you want to save a strain give it away and that always stuck with me because they were so willing to just give me the tools that i needed to explore 
and NCGA is also another, you know, another group that, so, you know, I was, I was, you know, growing the blue widow and a lot of different things that were just to me, uh, you know, very fascinating and really engaging. So 17, 18, you're getting cuts in the mail. Are like, are your parents super supportive? Are they completely unaware? Are you just, you know, really good at keeping things on the down low? Like what was the, the situation like that? A little bit of both. Um, you know, it, it was, there was some tension, but there was also support, you know, knowing that like, you know, you, you obviously really care about this. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just, nothing was ever killed. Nothing was ever done about it. And I just kept doing the thing, okay. you know, <laughs> um, you know, and, and sorry, mom, but, uh, yeah, there were times that I, you know, yeah, you know, there were some fibs in there, like. Hey, I, I got rid of things and yeah, you know, they really weren't gone, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. but, uh, but at the same time, I think that really, truly shaped my journey and I've, you know, I've, I've kept these things ever since, you know, it's, it's been a, uh, been quite the, quite the process to be honest. That's, that's very, like, I mean, that's very cool that you've been, I know what you've, you know, how long you've kept some things and we'll touch on that later. And I think that's very cool. Um, like talk a little bit about your journey transitioning into hash. Like, you know, was that something that was prevalent from the beginning where, you know, you and your friends were cultivating with the intention of creating hash or, you know, was hash smoking prevalent growing up or was that something that came later on? Like talk about how that sort of came about. Was that, what did that evolution look like? Yeah. So. You know, that's, um, yeah, the evolution for me, I think was, you know, it was, it was, it was a tough evolution, I think, in terms of what, you know, coming out of the box and, and turning, and turning a cheek to the world and not being able to share about the things that you're deeply passionate about for as long as I've been doing that is really difficult. And I know there's others out here that share that same feeling, you know, and, and I think that now, um, that we can talk about it, it, it does still feel odd, you know, to, to be able to just openly talk about all these things that we were told for so many years that you just couldn't, you know, you had to go through so many layers of protection and only talk to these certain people. And it was a tight knit circle. Uh, there was an IRC chat dedicated to this. That was like this deep, deep web thing. And that's where a lot of a lot of the original cuts were actually passed on, Yeah, you know? So I know I keep touching on a lot of that, but I think it's important for people to understand that there was the Silk Road still happening. If you, if you want to call it, call it a thing and the sharing of collective minds going on for since the start, I mean, you know, it's just, it's been going there. The access um, was just much more difficult. I mean, it was how, hard to, you know, you had to, how hard did you have to work to find those things and then post and gain that trust? And, and, you right. know, I think that, I think that it, the access to information and the speed at which you could learn now compared to back then is, you know, wild. And we don't have, it's different, you know, today you can go and order things and yeah. you know, that's, it just wasn't like that. You know, you, you really. And, you know, to get something verified was, was very difficult, you know, and I think today with things like medicinal genomics and 
um, the ability to do qPCR testing, we can actually do things that we never could before, but there was less people growing these varietals, and it was more important to share them than it was today, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, keeping them alive, you know, there's huge nurseries now. We didn't, we just didn't have hundred percent, hundred percent. You know? So would you say like, when did hold you start? Like, or sorry, sorry, go ahead. Can we just like get into our normal thing for two seconds and just talk about what we're dabbing on? And oh yeah, on. no, absolutely. Definitely <laughs> take a dab. I, uh, I am about to go in on some papaya. It was good dropped off by a friend that I'm uh, quite excited about. I'm also going in on some papaya after my dab of the platinum sweet Congo by kind selections. This is some sweet, some, uh, no, this is some lemon cake, fresh press. Ooh, nice. Bring in your lemon cake. Oh, yeah. Or two. Very the lemon cake comes to the special. That's awesome. That's awesome. Y'all know I love the lemon and I love the sound of that lemon cake. Sounds absolutely delicious. What's the heritage on that? Do you know what the the breed is from? Yeah, so he knows uh, the breeder too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I may know that guy. Um, so uh, the lemon cake was um, was uh, was this, were seeds that were gifted to myself that were given to me as the quote air quotes land raves, right? Um, what they really turned out to me to, to at least turned out to be to me back then were a very lemon forward East Asian sativa, if you will, just, that's the best descriptor I could give. It was really, really, really loud. And we then selected that, kept that as a mom. The next year I grew that and grew indoor, uh, a bunch of new packs that I'd, I'd acquired and we had acquired this <laughs> skunk one cross to NL five times tie. And I ended up selecting four males from that and collected the pollen from that and grew the lemon cake out the following season and pollinated, uh, as, you know, as much of the plant as I possibly could at a young age as being as, you know, uneducated as I was at that time and made seeds. So from there, we went through and selected through, I guess, a couple hundred seeds that we, we had grown over time and selected moms throughout that time and narrowed it down to 10 moms, which then came down to five moms, which they came down to one. And then we kept that one, which is the one that I have now. So that's, that's how we did it. And, uh, through the guidance of people like Vic, of course, actually, um, uh, you know, that was, that was when I was just, a, you know, asking as much as I could from people like that and, uh, trying to take in the extreme knowledge that as horticulturists, they, they actually were bringing to the table at a very, very, very primitive time. But those, those are the building blocks. You know what I mean? That's, that's when all that kind of core information was being moved around before you know, even the, the big forums like Overgrow came along and I came on Toke City um, a couple of years after that. So by those times, it, it, things were out there a little bit more. But yeah, without you guys, the originals kind of getting things started, we wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have had those cornerstones. So blessed to you, sir. Thank you.
So I want to get into like, you know, first experiences with extracts and, you know, first dabs or swings or, you know, nails or whatever it was. And, and, you know, was it an immediate light on, was that what drove you to, to start creating extracts or, or did the creation of extracts start more organically just through curiosity? Like how, how did that begin for you? Yeah. So, yeah. So to me, extracts were at the time, you know, we never, like none of us really washed straight flowers at that time. It just wasn't something that we were told to, to do. It was, it was take your, your dried trim, put it in a three bag set, uh, three bag set. And, and mind you, I bought my set first set from, they were, they weren't actually bubble bags. They were just like a three bag set off of, uh, you know, the isolator, uh, you know, website at the time. And, you know, it's just a basic 220, you know, there was a 73 and maybe a 45 bag or something. I, I don't, I don't remember, remember at the time, but it was just the three bags. And I remember, you know, reading that you could turn your material into extracts and I didn't really understand what that meant, um, at the time, but, um, I started exploring it and I've got this bag set. I took a bunch of stuff together and just put as much as I could in there and started mixing, mixing. Right. And I just started, you know, the first time I pulled the bag set, man, I'll never forget that feeling that that first pool and just like, just being like, what am I looking at? You know, you know what I mean? And for real, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's that. How did that present that immediate return? And mind you guys, like, this is like hot washing where I was like, like the middle of the day, you know what I mean? Um, you know, but yeah, you're, you're doing, you're doing it right. And, um, you know, I immediately started, you know, just trying to research and there's just nothing out. Like you just, there's nothing to learn. There's nothing out there. There's no, there's nothing, there's no Marcus. This was 98, 99, like what year was was 99. And, and right before I had even got introduced to to Marcus and bubble bags. And once I got introduced to that, that's when I bought the, the, the first kit, which I, I still have today, which is the 25 micron. That's like a big banana bag. It's like, it's this long sock. And I remember we used to hang it in our, uh, you know, we cleaned on our bathroom and we'd hang, we'd wash in there and we would, we would hang it and drain in our, in our, you know, in our shower. So it's, uh, you know, never forget, like, put, you know, doing all this, all the stuff that's wrong, like ha- trying to hang it on the shower head and, you know, just all the wrong stuff. Um, I saw washing bags. Yeah. Making it, yeah, like making terrible hash. I mean, I'm talking like, yeah, you know, terrible. I mean, we thought it was great at the time, but, you know, you know, it's, it's fun to look back at photos and, and the things that we used to think were acceptable and, and good. And, you know, it's really amazing. But my point is, is that through those iterations and through the, that trial and error, and quite frankly, failing so many times to make something great and then, um, ultimately learning about it, you know, what wasn't working over time. Um, not only was it learning about the temperature of the water 
and the ambient temperature of the air around you. It was also learning about the varieties that actually were worth it. And that was really immediate for me. Um, and around 2000, 2001, I started to immediately understand that this variety doesn't work. That variety does. And the idea of percent wasn't really there for me, but the idea of this resin is better and this resin is in a more abundance. Um, did you make, did, sorry, did you make yeah. the, the connection to the science? Did you make the connection to the plant? Did you just make the connection that like, it's too early. These two resins are produced different, but I don't know what, like, where were you at? Like, that's, what, that's what, what drove me. That, yeah, okay. yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. So I, so I, what I think you're asking me is what drove me to, to learn more about those things. And I, yeah. I think to me, uh, it, it was really, what really clicked to me was that this hash was, was cleaner. You could see how much it would burn differently. Like that was really apparent. And that was also, you know, the color was also really apparent and the amount that was there again, did I draw the correlation to heads and trichomids? It was too early for me at the time to say that I was thinking that way. Cause I honestly was just trying to get a grasp on, can I grow good, good resin? Right. And, and yeah, I mean, I could grow great. You know, you could see that it was getting better and better and better and better. Um, but I was trying to really focus on those in a very basic, basic kind of way. Um, and then, then it started, you know, 2002, three, that's when it started to really terms like trichum heads and Marcus's, you know, research and, um, all the other things that were, were being shared on the forum started to come to light. That's when I started to really pay attention to okay, this is, there's, this is even deeper than I, I imagined. And this is where, um, I want to spend a lot of time and I want to spend a lot of time on understanding why these plants are, are producing specific trichomes and what can I do to, to influence that? And that was really, really, uh, uh, a really pif uh, I had an epiphany at that time. Um, and that was, that was from the. The exchange though, that I was able to have with people like Marcus though, you know, and, and the, the exchange really that dialogue, um, sparked the curiosity to try things that maybe would not work, but it, you know, but we could actually iterate on it and say, Hey, this didn't work, you know, cold washing in the middle of winter, washing with trying to wash with snow. I mean, I've, I, you know, we used to try try all, try all yeah so um you know and then it just snowballed you know and then you just you just get deeper and deeper and deeper and it gets more macro um yeah so that's where it really the curiosity for me kind of drove me to and then varietals were you know they're i've just been infatuated with it you know there was you know my era had the whole g13 saga if, if you if anyone remembers that the the me myself and i g13 the airborne g13 the the government g13 you know all these these varietals that uh that we all claim to be the one you know it's kind of like the sour diesel chem dog saga it's like it's the yeah. one it's you know um and it's really questionable what the one is at this point it's so murky 
Yeah. I mean, some, some we're just never going to know. I mean, some it's, you know, the, the yeah. secrets died with some people. So the, like, when, when was the moment when you, you, you kind of realized that like, I've gotten to the point where I've absorbed all the information that I can absorb online and anywhere. And it's, it's, it's now time to kind of step off that step off that ledge, me to move forward and, and, and realize like there's nobody to look to. And I'm, I'm trailblazing insolventless, like in, in specifically, cause I know that's, you know, been your main focus. Like, was there, was there a moment that that realization took place or was that just kind of like, Hey, it's always kind of felt like walking in the dark. You know, this is what I can say. Um, I'll never stop learning. And, and I'll 100%. never stop being humbled by the science and minds and creativity that's around me. And that's partly what inspires me, I think. Um, and I also think that, you know, if there's an analogy I can use is I, I enjoy walking into a dark room and bumping around for as long as it takes to find the, the light, Yeah, that little crack of, of light yeah. and open the door eventually to this beautiful mirage of, of what you you're, you're after. And, and that's, uh, um, something I'm comfortable in and, and I, I enjoy that, that uncertainty Yeah, and you know, you don't, you don't know, you're not always successful with that though, you know, and I, and I, I just want to point out that, you know, you just have to keep trying the things that you believe in mm-hmm. and eventually the, the many ideologies or ideas come together and mm-hmm like harmonics, it'll come at the perfect time and then it'll dissipate. Right. And you'll get that idea. And, and I just want to, I also just want to say is, you know, I'm, I'm always looking to, to all the directions around me and listening, and I'm trying to do my best to decipher what's noise and what's helpful. And that's nearly impossible. However, I think just believing in your own ideas and not focusing on what other people are doing is a lot healthier than focusing on what other people are doing. hundred percent. I agree with that hundred percent. So that's what I'll I'll say to, to that is that I'll never stop learning. And, you know, I started putting my head down from the, you know, I was just kind of brought up that way, to be honest, is, is to keep your head down and work hard and the work should speak for itself. And the less you have to say, the the better place your head's going to be in, because it means you can focus on on the next thing, and you don't have to focus on the thing that's now. And you know, I really try to to just yeah, just try to focus on the things that I'm 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 interested in. And if that if that ends up resonating with someone, then that's that's awesome. I mean, you know, that's all I can I can I can hope for. You know, that's very cool. You, uh, you do a lot of work with PAX and the PAX pod. I want to kind of just touch on that and dive into, you know, what made you, you know, decide to work with those guys, what, you know, what attracted you about the actual hardware and, and, and where you think it can go. Like I know in a couple of your other interviews, you talked about, you know, working with the lemon G and a few other cultivars that, you know, were difficult to work with and, and you know, as much as you can go into that, I'd like to like, you know, explore, 
um, you know, what you're comfortable kind of talking about there. Cause I'm sure, you know, I'm sure, you know, everybody's super interested in that as well. Yeah. So first, I, I think first thing is first, I think PAX is, um, really taking the right steps to select the components through toxicology that, um, really when they put together, they actually aren't, they're not toxic. Um, you know, they've, they've done a lot of research on the components and the way that those components interact with, you know, thermal, thermal dynamics and, uh, different types of material. And, you know, you, yeah, sure. You could say that there's certain things that they're not doing, but I think that the, the things that they are doing are light years ahead in terms of, um, safety, um, you know, and delivery than, than I've seen with any company today. And, you know, excuse me, I, I, I'd also say you know, the material that I've put into their platforms today, in terms of the, the pod system, they perform substantially better than any 510 I've ever used. And I really, I really mean that. Um, and that comes from just, again, the way that they've selected the material and the way that it deals with thermodynamics. And it's, it's a, it's a closed loop system. Um, that's how PAX has kind of chosen to do it and it speaks to the pod. So. The temperature is actually staying at, let's say 490 or 500 or whatever you're setting it to be for your, for your material. And that's not what, um, a control voltage device can do. Sure. This can have sensors to say that it's generally getting around these temperatures, but it's not precisely staying at these temperatures. So you're always going to get to a set point and then it's, it's like a sharp, sharp curve or, you know, it's like a triangle wave. And then you have like a sine wave, which is very soft. And that's more of what I believe, uh, a PAX is, has designed for, for us. It's kind of, uh, attack sustained release ADSR. So uh, it has this, uh, the ability to stay at these temperatures through your draw and your pull. And that's what I enjoy about PAX's ideology and their performance. And, uh, I'm really excited for, um, you know, all the possibilities for that, that platform. That's very cool. So like we sort of the part of my question where, you know, in, in the previous interview, I think it might've been with Eric Wolski, um, of pure pressure, you talked about working with Leb and G, I think specifically as, you know, a, a tough, greasy trike to work with, um, is there you know, can we, can we go into that a little bit or is, you know, sure. How, yeah. I'd love to, you know, I know that a lot of people who deal with stuff like that and would love to pick your brain. So I'd love to, you know, hear what yeah. you have to say about it. So greasy cannabinoids, um, yes. you know, the, you know, you're dealing with anything like a, a blackjack or I'm trying to think of, of other, you know, a Jack rare or lemon G or, um, you know, the piff or. Yeah, well, the pip is a little tackier, but still greasy. Um, any of these types of riotals, you're going to want to, um, make sure you do short wash times and, you know, you can't really care about yield. Um, if you're trying to do this and you're going to expect to get, you know, 3.5, 4, 5%, you're never going to get that. If you're comfortable at 1.8 to 2%. And you want to make head stash, um, those varietals are going to be something that you could, you could wash. 
and do short washes and do short, do many shorter washes and grade out the material and decide how you want to put that back together. Greasy material degrades really quickly because it's harder to grab. And a lot of, of plant material over time in your washes will dump back into uh, your collection. So the more that you collect and the shorter time you spend with it, the better curated you could create your, your end product. So you could have different grades of that said material. Now, getting to pressing that material, you know, much lower temperatures, um, you know, things like that are, are really on your side and, uh, using, uh, you know, 36 micron or below is, is recommended. What's the finest micron that you would feel comfortable pressing through for a final? Uh, you could do five to 10. I mean, or really anywhere five to 36. I mean, really? depends on the, on the material and where your temperatures are. You know, if the material is extremely clean, like super, super clean, six star, just be able to get, get down there on the, on the micron size. I just never uh, thought like five was attainable really, but I guess it, it really is just material you, dependent. You, listen, anything's attainable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> never forget that. Fair, fair. That's okay. The, you talk a little bit in that interview about the, the deadhead OG, um, you know, I from my experience, OGs don't really wash that well. Was that a similar experience there? Um, yeah. Yeah. L low, low yield on that, but, uh, it was a great, a great profile. And, you know, we, at that time we were exploring a lot. So we were able to wash a lot of these varietals and take the data down. And it was more about learning about what could this do? Um, and the OG, I mean, the, it, like the deadhead OG had this garlicky OG to it and it actually was a better yielder than I thought. And when I pulled out a gram that I kept, um, a, a retail gram that I kept, um, it, it, the nose on it was really interesting because I didn't remember the same nose. Um, maybe because we were going through so much, so many different types of varietals, but it wasn't as impressive to me at the time. Um, and when I pulled out the sample, I was like, wow, it's actually, it's actually really good. Um. You know, it's pretty. Many, how many days did you take that one, Colin? I think we took it uh, 10, 10, 11, 10 weeks. I think that that one, it went until it was done. I think that that, and we started that from seed. That was, uh, that was from seed, that varietal. We had some, some, uh, Mycotech seeds that we left over. And, uh, we ended up popping those. And yeah, I mean, I'm, always dismissive of OGs, um, in general, um, for, for the end goal that I'm looking for. But, um, you know, if you're a flower guy, you know, depending on the, the cross of it, it's, you know, OGs just not a, not a great yielder and it's very finicky, it's susceptible to a lot. And, uh, you know, it can, it just can be difficult. Great smoke though. Okay. Let me get into some, some more polarizing questions that can we can kind of maybe rock the boat with um okay i want to talk about hash numbers and calculating yields mm -hmm. i think that that's something that hasn't been standardized at all throughout you know the industry and everybody's kind of got their own way of of 
calculating their yields the same way, you know, these big public LPs have the same way of calculating their cost per gram. Everybody bakes it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know if, to know if this, if this is, a, this is something to like, if you think that there's a more scientific approach in the way that we can start comparing apples to apples, something I've thought about is like measuring active water content of these harvested plants and then, you know, using math to, to, to apply an equation rather than sort of an industry standard of, you know, a gram, a gram dry is five wet. And, you know, do you think that like all this yield information that we're, we're getting and then judging and making selections or making our buying purchases on, like it's, it's, it's quite skewed information. And I, I just wonder, is that something you, you think about as an industry we need to address or it's like, Hey man, everybody's just got to stay in their own lane till they figure that out themselves. So here's my take on cost. Um, so, all right. So here, here's a, here's a good way to look at it. Um, we, what you're looting out is standardization, right? This like idea yep. that we're all going to land on the same number and one gram is going to yield X amount times 454 that pounds at, you know, 3.5% yield, right? But what is that true? Like you're asking is what does that truly mean at a deeper level? And what I would say to that is that, yeah, because the cultivation and, and let's, let's just call it farming is not standardized at all, like not at all. Um, we have different wheat classes with resin that's grown on that specific weight class that is different and amounting in different amounts, right? We're not there after the weight, we're there after the resin, right? And yep. ultimately you're after the weight of that resin. So it's very difficult to decipher when someone says, oh, I have 70% water weight <clears throat> per pound and my yields, uh, 5%. That's what dry that's 20, 22% or 21% or something like, something like that. Right. That generalization that we give ourselves isn't a real is not reality and to your point yeah. so yeah i think that you have to um we have a lot of work to do to understand what that that language and what that should be because right now this is just us scraping to figure out like some kind of understanding of this um and i know you 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 personally are only measuring your yields on your uh i don't want to misspeak so when you when you say, oh, that, uh, she did 3.6 for me, that's 3.6% of what? Of 17,000 uh, grams, 18,000 No, no, grams. but like of what, what you, like what, what the 70 to the 120 or the 70. Yeah. So it's 120 to, uh, to 90 for me. We don't, yeah. we don't include anything outside those ranges in my. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know, you know, I can't speak for everyone in the world. I know that there are, I've been told there's been sne some sneaky people out there, but, um, you know, we try to stick to, you know, we're, we're really old school. Like we pull every bag we do, we do every single bag and we separate everything. We don't do these big single bag, 73, 90 bag dumps. Um, yeah. it's just, I find that quality suffers severely when you do things like that. Um, well, I think that there's guys in the industry, industry running at, you know, uh, a one ninety and a 40 
and then grabbing yeah. the 40, measuring it, and then being like, we, we got 8%. And, got it. Yeah. And so exactly. that's kind of where. Right. And that's, you know, there's levels to this guys, you know, the, the different heads are going to produce different quality. Um, and I think that's also, you know, something I invite everyone to look at is, you know, if you're, if you're not hitting a certain melt point on your product, you should take a hard look at what you're doing. Um, because it, you know, in this day and age, there's plenty of varietals that can give you incredible melt. I mean, it's never been easier. You know, it's where, where we came from was very different. I mean, we had few varietals that would work. Um, so I would say that, you know, that's something I would, I would definitely recommend everyone to, to be aware of. It's important, you know, you're. Your quality is, is hinged on, uh, not only the input material, but your ability to filter that material. So yeah. not always quality and quality out. hundred percent, hundred percent. So moving to a different hot topic, um, the combin the, the, the combining of different, uh, the combining of different terpenes, esters, thiols, uh, from different plants. And then the vaporization of those at high temperatures, you know, I know it's something we kind of touched on yesterday and, you know, maybe not the most popular topic, but, you know, we're here to talk about everything. So, you know, I, I know you've done a lot of research on this, so I I'd love to, you know, get your, get your take on it. Yeah. You know, look, we, 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 we all love cannabis and we love this plant so much. Um, you know, with that, we have to understand that there's a lot of toxic chemicals that this plant in high amounts can, can produce, um, mainly these analytes and thiols and, you know, uh, let's just call, call one of them out. Just so for an example is polygon. Polygon is uh, toxic above 4%. Um, there are varietals that have this, uh, this in it. And I think it's really important to make sure that, you know, when you're doing extraction, you understand that, um, you have a responsibility to not only yourself, but also the, the people around you that you're giving this medicine to that, you know, you don't actually poison them in the process of, in, in the pursuit of trying to make something that's great. Um, high terpene varietal or high terpene extraction is amazing with the right counterparts and it can be really enjoyable and, and, and super, you know, relaxing and, uh, a great thing to, to, to be doing, but with that takes, you know, a, a certain eye. And I think one thing I'm, you know, a place that I'm arriving at is taking a harder look at that, you know, what happens when I start stacking things and I start, you know, doing these deconstructive, you know, deconstructive, you know, extraction, you know, and then reconstructive product skews, you know, uh, or or just reconstructive grams of, of different material and different ratios. You know, there's, there's things that are going to happen when you do that, um, that are just abnormal. So I, I, I've really been paying attention to that. And I think it's, uh, and I truly believe that other producers should be, um, really cognitive of, of this. I think, I think that's. That's, you know, something serious that everybody needs to pay attention to. I mean, especially up here in Canada, like there's no onus on health. Like you submit a product to Health Canada, they're not checking if it's safe. They're just, you know, checking boxes. Like it's, it, the onus is on the cultivator. So, I mean, uh, 
you know, I think that that's a really good point. I wanted to ask you about like large scale commercialization of solventless extraction and, and where you think we're at with that technology. Do you think that there will ever be a point where we can, uh, design our way to a system where we're doing massive commercial scale and producing craft quality, or do you feel that there's a ceiling to ultra scale solventless extraction? I think that it's, um, right today, there's a ceiling on what horticulturally we can do, right? Like just because I can make it doesn't mean you can make, you could pr provide that flower for me in this form. Right. So you feel as though the limitation is in the horticultural side and not the, ma the, the, the machinery design side. What I'm alluding to is that it's, it's, a, it's, we have to do this together. It, it's going to yeah. take, it's going to take agriculture and super smart horticultural practices with great IPM management and the right team to care about all those things. Right. And then on the flip side, it's going to take another team of individuals that know how to harvest that material. Right. And all of these things have to be thought about. Um, and it's a, it's a production in my, if we're going to go that big, we're going to have to think that this way. And it's a different mindset than me yeah. wanting to bag, you know, yeah. five pound bags at a time and then try to freeze them. So it's, a, it's a, yeah. a totally different way of thinking about it. So, so yes, I believe these things can be done. Yeah. If the care and intention that's put into the craft post harvest practices is able to be emulated and replicated on a mass scale, yeah, then you're saying it would be possible, but at this point in time, we haven't been able to do that. I think that's a really cool way of answering that question. And I didn't think you were going to answer it like that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and look, the tech technology is there. It's not about wait, can we wash enough in a, in a shift? That's not the, that's not the, that's not the question anymore. It's, can we get the material that produces the kind of, you know, quantity and quality that we need to, and, and enough of it, like lots of it, you know? Cause yeah, you know, you could wash easy hundred thousand, 200,000 grams in a 12 hour day. Not hard. Yeah. For sure. For sure. For sure. Would you agree with that RJ? Like, do you think that 220 think... pounds? Yeah. Yeah. Washing that amount of material in a, in a work day is definitely, you know, with, with the material, with the equipment we have, that's, that's no problem. But I totally agree with Colin. Like it's just, we are limited by the amount of buyer cannabis that we yeah. can, we, we can have provided to us. Do you know what I mean? And it's just, we're not there, especially in Canada. So no, I completely agree. And if, if, if our, our, you know, American brothers and sisters down there are, are saying that, and they're, they're a little bit more further ahead of us with regards to large scale, uh, fire cultivation, we're, we're kind of lacking in that department. Um, and we can, we can unpack that a bit more too. But yeah, I think, uh, I think on the extraction side, things have come such a, such a long way, 
um, it, it, it hasn't been a short amount of time either. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like for hydrocarbon, it's been 10 plus years for, for good quality, you know, solventless, um, I'd say a good six or seven years, like just pressing hard. So, yeah. you know, this has taken a lot of time and there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of money spent, um, you know, and just trying to, to put a good quality product out there. So yeah. it all comes down to, uh, yeah, the, the access to the material that these large scale solventless extractors have is, is, you know, let's be honest of a lower quality than the guys washing in the brew bins. So I think that, you know, that's a really good, um, you know, a different, different angle to look at it. And I think it's, it's a pretty fair angle. I have a question for both of you. Um, Colin, in your peer pressure interview, you talk about the, uh, the email being the best, your opinion being the best way to smoke melt, which I think is pretty much across, you know, the community generally agreed. And this is, you know, might be a silly question, but this is my question is, you know, why is it that with rosin and other extracts that, you know, the community, myself included, agree that, you know, a torch and, and a, a hot piece of quartz is so much better than, uh, an email, even an email with a cork with a piece of quartz. Well, What's depending on the material, on? you know, I, I think it really starts there. You know, if you're going to start with, you know, well, let's, let's back it up a second. We never had dab rights or these like temperature control abilities. It was, you know, it's 90 seconds on you know, six, six off, you know, like whatever your methodology was, you know? Um, and you know, yeah, some of us had, you know, I've had tons of little IR guns and stuff, but we didn't have the ability to be exact on temperature. And then beyond that, we weren't thinking about what temperature was, you know, I mean, for, for so long, people were taking these like seven plus hundred, you know, Fahrenheit, you know, temperature dabs. And, you know, they never even understood what it actually tasted like. Right. So it's, you know, fast forward to now, you know, we have, we have all these tools and, um, you know, the, the email wasn't thought to be used, um, at, at low temperatures other than people like Marcus and, uh, other, other hash heads that were really, really in tune with, with flavor and, and the nascent chemicals that are, that are there and their boiling points. So, you know, I think it's, it's one of those things where the email has been so consistent because it is actually an accurate temperature and using a blowtorch is really kind of shooting from the hip, even though some people might have a really nice sweet spot that they can just say, ah, I don't need that. I time it for this much time and let it sit for that much time. I don't know. It's like three to five minutes each, each time you want to use your nails, you know, or your, or your, or your quartz. So I think that's another reason why I truly like, uh, the emails because it's an accurate temperature and it's just gives you wherewithal as to like where, where you should be And each, each, even each resin has a different needs to be, you know, at a different temperature. I have resin that goes from anywhere from 480 to 700 it just depends on on the purity of it or what, what other terpenes are there or, or esters or analytes or thiols, like whatever else is there is going to dictate that, um, the way that it reacts, like even using, uh, this electronic, this, this puff goat here, this has a 
I notice very, I notice a lot of nuance, you know, I notice all the material has a different reaction to all of these devices and temperature is never the same. I don't have a standardized temperature that I could carry across even each, each, each banger. I mean, banger to banger, there's different temperatures, you know? So that's the nuance in it. Right. But it's, uh, it's something that I, I really like, you know, is, uh, is keeping use- low temperature and understanding where it should be. Do you use a standard Puffco? No, I use the pro. Okay, pro. Yeah. The pro is, so here's why I like, I appreciate the pro. Um, I can use hash. I can use rosin. I can use isolated THCA, uh, solventless THCA in it. And I can set different temperature ranges for myself and I can use it super easy. Um, yeah, it's, 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 there's, there's not a lot to hate about it, you know, other than that it's electronic. Um, it's, uh, it does the job, but does it taste like a, like a, like a rig? No, it's a very different experience. Sure. Okay. Uh, but is it, is it good for what it does? Yeah. Is do I, I honestly, I think it's why it's really exciting for me is because it gets people that aren't into hash into hash. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So to back it up just a little bit, um, I got a call that was kind of distracting and I kind of missed, I really wanted to get into like the, the, the email thought train and then I kind of missed that. Um, but I wanted to talk about Jermichael and like how that kind of changed everything in terms of hash consumption, at least for, for the melt community. Um, I don't even know, like way back, you know, get into it, man. Cause most, most people don't know. So it's sure. gotta like, you gotta unpack. Yeah. You should, you should unpack that for them. Okay. So for me, it was like a thing where like the email, you know, a lot of people were just slamming melt into the emails and it was like working out, but like the whole back end of the hood was charred and getting gross. And you have to really just like dig out, um, that cart, that kind of like hashy soot. If, if your melt wasn't of a specific quality, and even if it was and you're smashing big dabs, you kind of just got to dig a little bit out anyways. And we hadn't developed the cleaning techs. So I, and honestly, I don't know if Jermichael was who it was or who came about it. Like, I don't know if you have any optics on that, but, uh, it's basically putting a little screen over top of the email bowl and melting your dab onto that. And it would kind of filter out some of that non melty material and keep a, your email a lot cleaner and keep everything a lot cleaner, but just the flavor that you would get off just the pure melty heads was just like mind boggling. That's what changed things for me is just like experiencing, like experiencing the hash flavor was great, but experiencing just the resin heads, like, you know what I mean? (laughs) I do do know what you mean. It's why hash is, you know, I always say we're all smoking hash anyway. It's just, you have biomass attached to it. You know, but yeah, isolated, it brings out a different characteristic of, of the plant. Um, and it really does give you good insight as to how strong something or a varietal actually could be. 
it's really, really, really awesome. There's nothing like it. So like, that's the difference with like using a banger now and just slam and melt into a banger is like, it's, it's a better, it's a better world because you know, like my, my beef with emails is there's not really any with a program that allowed for a proper dab. Why do my dabs taste better without an email like that? Because the emails are constantly constant. ramping up or over ramping due to the sensor, right? There needs to be like a, as soon as it senses a dab in there, it needs to slower ramp up and then finish at a lower temperature before resetting itself, you know, sometime later. That's my personal opinion. Cause that's why I've moved away from them completely. And now I use a heat gun. I, so like that, that's my, that's my jam. I use a heat so gun. So convection, convection's your, your choice. Yeah. Unless, unless I use like a slurper or a blender and then I have to use the torch because I, it just doesn't fit with my current setup. Got it. But if I'm using like a standard, you know, one of these or like the auto spinner. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm throwing it in my heat gun and I have like a digital Digital get this to be back out, huh? So in, in our, in our, in the first, the first vaporizers for flour was a stenil, stenil va like heat gun That's hooked into this too. weird piece that would go over top of your flour. <laughs> Real. This, that was how we used to vaporize back. You should, can you show them? Can, can you show them how you, are you able to show them how you're heating it up? Cause I don't think many people see that, uh, that setup. Sorry, my cords are just everywhere. So this, it's all snowing up here. Whoops, where am I? I'm over here. So digital heat gun. Put you yeah, that low screen up. There you go. Yeah. Boom. So got the banger. Yeah, I got putting little your banger stuff. So the... I put the banger right in there. I have this little, um, it's not that hot, so I can pull this thing out. But it's just this little top that the banger sits right in. Bam digital display so I can actually dial in my, it's my temperature and that's, that's kind of how I've moved to have a, a softer heat and I'm heating into, um, I'm heating into my, my heating range. You know what I mean? I'm heating into my dab zone versus it's falling, falling, falling through it. Um, yeah. so for me, it's, it's just kind of been, and I've been on it for four years. So it's, it's just kind of been like the, the way I've developed and I don't really know, um, many other people doing it. Um, Flav is, is one that, that I saw breaking out the heat gun at one point as well, Flav 421. Um, so shout out to him. He's a little quadruple OG in the game. Like that guy. So that's a good guy. A, yeah. Awesome guy. Super wealth of, uh, knowledge, incredible glass collection, like who. Yeah, he's got a great class question. Good guy, man. He's we spent some time in Amsterdam and uh I guess we've had some good times and talking yeah, to him a bunch solid, solid guy. Yeah. All right. I wanna ask uh I'm gonna ask both of you. Um three most impressive extracts you've come across in the last year. The group or individual who made them, and if you know the farmer who cultivated them. So it's shout out time. So we can take a minute. We can take a minute. Um, I'm ready. Yeah, I can, I can we'll go. Put, 
go, go, go. Okay. So for me, it's, uh, I have to group like a bunch of GMO related strains, uh, like slop and tickle modified grapes and a, just a bunch of straight GMO, um, yeah. pressed by Hashtronomer, grown by Foreman Farms, uh, living soil organics. So all okay. super fire. Then some stuff that I like made in the R&D, a couple R&D batches. Um, that like, I, I can't, I can't, I, I'm not gonna really talk about it. Okay. But like some, some R&D stuff that I made that like, so yeah, uh, it turned out incredible, incredible. And we're just, we're starting to, to do that in slightly larger batches now. So super stoked with that. When we start dropping that, then I'll start talking about it. But until then, uh, I just gotta stay mum, but R&D batches. Uh, on some BHO that I've made to combat some of that super fire, uh, live rosin and some melt I got blessed with as well. Some, uh, apple, uh, what am I talking about? Apple toffee, apple toffee melt. Yeah. That not what saying, but yeah. What about you, Colin? So got a big, big shout out to Brian at best friend farms up in Maine. He's got some, he's got this bubble cram that looks insane. That was, that was a, that was a big, you know, big ups, Brian. It's, that's awesome. Um, and Brian's flower is also incredible for, for those up in Maine. Um, trying to think of who else, uh, uh gosh, out in California, I'd say, you know, Papa Select and, uh, fully melted, you know, Wook Sauce. I think his stuff is, is great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Alice, yeah, I don't know. Awesome yeah. yeah. And, yeah. uh, also, uh, App and Glow Farms up in NorCal and Nasha Extracts. I think those guys have some, some great stuff going on and yeah. And then Heritage as well. I see those guys all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Heritage Mendocino. Those guys are yeah, dope. They have, guys are they have some great stuff. And she just, she was just on, uh, Hashish Hit. Shout out Hashish Hit. Yes. I think, I think I might be misspeaking, but I'm pretty sure I could be wrong. They have great stuff and, uh, yeah. uh, Canna Ferry as well. I think she's got some good stuff as well. So she's out in Cali. So I'm going to shout out this guy. Oh yeah. Big shout out. Gary the Dabs. Some of the best Dabs. Yeah, that's yeah, for sure. Brute Joy. Look, I'm still nursing a little bit just cause I don't. <laughs> oh, good. I want to like kind of wrap up extraction with a kind of like future outlooking question. I know, you know, we kind of touched on it in, in a bit of a, on our call yesterday of, of, you know, your experience in the kitchen and how you like to make draw comparisons. And I think it was really quite eloquent. So I, you know, I, I'd love to hear your take on, you know, a very macro view of, of the future of extraction from where we go from here and then. And yeah. NRG. I think, you know, it's more refinement, uh, and less, yeah, more refinement from all, all parts of the picture here, meaning cultivation, it's, it should no longer be, uh, take our, our crappy material and make it into something that we can sell. I think that's a weird ideology that was carried into the regulated market that doesn't make any sense. Uh, um, you know, the, if you're going to have something be created, it should be intentional and you should be growing for that. Um, you know, I think that needs to happen and, and I see that happening more. 
Um, you know, I hear people talking about, oh, I'm breeding for solventless. Okay, cool. Let's, let's see over time what these varietals can do. And it's exciting that people have this, you know, the dialogue now that they're thinking like this, because, you know, it's really difficult to, to expect to go buy material from someone that has never even thought about what you're even doing with it, you know? So, uh, that's one thing I think is going to be imperative and something that will change more and more people are starting to come to, you know, to, to do more of that. And then beyond that, um, I think that, you know, there's going to be long-term people that are be here and then the rest won't. And I think that I, you know, I'm curious to see how a lot of us that have been here can hold on to what we've been doing and proliferate it and come together and work together so we can all be here because um, it's a changing landscape um, that's not easy. And I, I feel for everyone out there because it's not, um, it's just not easy. Word. Agreed. Agreed completely. Yeah. And I, I agree with the more refinement thing too. Like, I think that's going to be the future is just finding more ways to break things down and, and then reconstruct the way that we envision it. And I think it's going to be I hate the term extract artistry now because I feel like it just doesn't talk about the science of extraction. Um, but I think when it comes down to formulations and I think what, I think the future is formulations. So just kind of to expand on what you're saying, just in, in, in the reconstructing the way that we would want to dab it, you know what I mean? That's where these refi the refined palette and the sommelier understanding of cannabis and dabbing and, and being ingrained in the culture and understanding what the product needs to be both from the production manufacturing perspective, but also from the consum the consumption perspective and understanding, you know, everything in between, like it, it, it really makes, it, it changes the way that something's pro produced with intent, like you're saying, right. Yeah. And, and for people like us to just you know, it's, uh, I think that's how we hold on to our longevity in this industry is because we, we understand it a little bit different. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's something we talked about yesterday was, was, uh, making products with intention rather than making products because we can. And I think that's, that's important for people to look at, um, you know, look in, look inward a, a bit and try to challenge what what the thing you're doing is right now and how can you improve on it not only internally but externally to make it better is it exploring other methods i don't know but bridging the gap between disciplines i think is really important for the next steps of all this yeah so i i like talking about that yesterday um Bridging the disciplines is something very cool. Uh, it, it's a great thought. And I, I agree that that's kind of where we're going in the future. It's, it's providing a robust, uh, not only, not only cannabinoid profile, but, um, terpene profile. And yeah, maybe it, it's, it's introducing things that don't otherwise come natively in the plant. And I know that is a little bit of a, a taboo. But at the same time, like, it's not going to be, it, it, it is, but a segment of the market, right? That's, that's what it will be. But I think, especially when we look at it medicinally, 
um, and we're tr and we're creating a product to help for certain things or be ingested for certain ways. And I, I know that can be extrapolated into the rec market and, 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 and those kind of products as well, but we want to create something that can hit all the boxes and certain cultivars, you know, may not be able to do that as well as a kind of selective mix of different things put together to specifically target an effect. And I know that we're still too early with the, the testing and the kind of regulations to go deep down that, but just kind of curious your thoughts on that as well, Colin. Yeah. So my thoughts on that are, are, I think today you can't, you can get, you can use the plant and its parent parts to make these really incredible skews, but you can't, I don't think isolating these individual cannabinoids together and then bringing them together in that macro and micro of, of a way we're there yet. Um, perhaps there's teams that I don't know about that have supercomputers that are, you know, have pipettes and can do all this, this, you know, this, you know, we're talking about, but what I do know is that, um, I think utilizing certain varietals and certain, um, you know, extraction types to create more intentional products is definitely something, um, that is, you know, I think it's, it's something that, that we need more of. And I think we need people to break down barriers and to start understanding all of these, all these things together, because, um, you know, to me, it's like music, like jazz and hip hop never really played together before and then they did and beautiful things happened. Right. And it, it's very much like that, um, where disciplines can really play off one another and they can create something more profound than anyone could do on their own. And that's the spirit of it, I, I guess, at the end of the day. And I, so yeah, at the end of the day, yes, I think that's a cool ideology and a good dialogue to have. Do I think we're there right now? We're really far from it. Cause I mean, just, we need. We need better testing. We need better understanding of what chemicals actually we need to be testing for. Cause I think that's another other aspect of it as well. So there's just more here and with us condensing and kind of, you know, bringing things together in these ways. Now there's a new, there's, it, 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 you know, it, new questions arise, right? Like, let's just face it. Like it's, that's really at the end of the day, what, what, what's happening is new questions are coming up. We don't have answers for them. It's the same thing that I've, I've gone through the, with, it seems like the whole, the whole, you know, the whole journey here is like, just, these are questions that arose and I tried to find answers for them and went deep on trying to find them and continue to, you know, so it's, um, you know, I, I really hope that a lot of the individuals around us that are interested in the science aspect of it, that maybe haven't spent their life with the plant could interject some knowledge in terms of how we could be testing for these things and, and bringing that knowledge to the table. Cause it's, again, like I said, it takes a village. It takes a dream team to make these ideas possible and nothing ever happens. Uh, it seems without a great team, you know? So I think it starts Absolutely. with the, the right people and the right minds. So yeah. Team is everything for sure. Yeah. No Awesome. Quick, quick dabs for everybody yeah. if they want. Yeah, yeah. Grab, the dabs, grab some water because we're about to start cultivation. 
my one of my favorite subjects. I can talk a little bit about my last stab. Okay, I gotta ask Colin too. I gotta, I, I gotta, I gotta just one on one and fire in there. No problem. Um, so when when are we talking about music too? I'll talk a little bit about. We're talking about music after cultivation. Okay. Okay. Well, then maybe I'll save my question for that. All right. Save your, save your question for the next section. This is some cherry cookie breath from Relentless Genetics that I grew out in the phenolent in the ACMPR a year ago. Um, I mixed too many washes, so it's a tad bit colored up, but it tastes delicious. This is full-term organic sun-grown. Um, and yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, uh, still enjoy it. It tastes like it, it tastes like you're eating a cherry lip balm. So like, there's a bit of like, I'm eating like a lip balm taste to it, but then there's a cherry in it. <laughs> so yeah. What do you smoke on Colin? So this is actually some lemon juice. It looks very nice. Oh, nice. Um, deeper, you see how, how like, and this is refined oil. So this is a, yeah. It's more of like a can you uh, zoom in on him, London? I don't know if you guys can see that or blow his screen up. Maybe not. That's okay. There you go. Oh wow, it's very clear, man. Can you hold it closer to the camera? Uh, very clear. Oh wow. Can you explain a little bit more about the refined? If you don't, Yo, that's sure. cool. So, um, when I talk about refinement, so I talk about filtration. Um, and steps of filtration over said time. So we, um, you know, we look at it in terms of like micron size and refinement has steps to it in terms of the micron size that you use. So this has many steps in the process of different types of micron sizes that will help refine out, um, some of the impurities. Like we have an impurity step that we have that we remove some of the fats and lipids. And, um, yeah. And then it, it just starts to get really, really, really opaque and, uh, super, super sappy. It's just like a sap. That's like my favorite thing ever. Cause like, that's, that's something that we've talked about a little bit before it is, uh, or at least like, uh, Jameson and I, um, is about like. It's just like really how the, the majority of, of the solventless products out there are not, you know, refined. Um, exactly. they are like, they're, they're crude versions and, uh, well, it's really beautiful to see your take on things and how you kind of go extra steps to produce some killer products. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, to me, it's, we spread everything out to different SKUs and or products and um you know they all have their place and different batches can be different consistencies and that's how we look at it so it's um you know we really try to focus on pushing ourselves to to have different tiers and different refinement points so we can offer something different for everyone What were you showing off there, RJ? I didn't, uh, we didn't catch that. You're showing it. I didn't get to know what it is. Slap tickle.
Yeah, check. Yeah, some slap and tickle. It's a uh, great pie and GMO. How does that come through? Like heavy on the GMO or does it go like the other direction? Ooh. GMO usually takes over everything. <laughs> oh, so Jameson, one thing, yeah, some of the favorite cultivars that I've ran recently are some of the stuff from, uh, yeah, GMO Wilson, Strong Nano Wilson, um, and, um, all the Thug Thug work is pretty much all keeper. That guy's, I've raised him. Pretty impressive. Well, right, you've done you've done it, my friends. Awesome. All right. Well, we're, I want to go. I've cult, I've cultivation questions. So, I know you talked about eighty nine starting working on the lemon cake, and you kind of like touched on that a little bit before. I wanted to know like how that breeding project came about. Like, what was the initial? <laughs> desire push for that cross like was it an accident was it intentional and like what was what was missing that you didn't have that you wanted that pushed you to do this um so i had been reading like i honestly being influenced um by um by others around me that were, that were making other seed stock just to like save stuff. It was more of like preservation than really anything. It wasn't meant to be, Hey, I'm like going to take this and it's going to do that. And I have this foresight and it's going to be this awesome thing. Right. I didn't yeah. have, that was not the ideology at the time. Right. The idea was to save the <laughs> because I didn't, we didn't know what else to do. Right. Yeah. And we had, we had read about, you know, and we, had, and I just also want to say this, my, my best friend's mom, Mary, Mary P <laughs> if Luke is listening, um, right now, um, you know, she allowed us to, to grow plants in her house in a, in a way that at a young age, we wouldn't have been able to do any of this. So we had you know, a setup. She was a horticulturist herself. She worked in greenhouses and, you know, she had a different eye for what, what it was. And, you know, as long as you guys weren't buying the stuff. Right. So it was, it was really, you know, at that time she was, she was really, you know, so anyway, we had all these plants that we started. And again, like I said, we selected from, uh, these males cause we were influenced by other people that were like, Hey, you got to save this stuff. This is how you do it. Um, again, we grew up in an agricultural area, so plants and, and, you know, pollinating things were, there was a, that, that concept was there, um, understanding what the intention behind that was not there at that age. Right. Yeah. So we, uh, collected this pollen. I saved it. We were told to put it in a, in a refrigerator. Um, we grew the plant again, outside the, 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 the existing lemon cake and we, we hit it outside with you know, with the pollen, right. 
and then it grew the seeds from there. And again, we select, we got, we harvested all those seeds. I'll never forget it. Like just like falling all over the place. And, you know, we had this huge table full, you know, full of stuff. And then we started against going through these seeds and we selected, um, again, down from like 10 to five to one. And, um, that that's the one I've kept ever since. And I've, I've never let it go and I've had it forever. There's, there's what, two what others. Is it, what is it that makes <laughs> you keep it, have it forever? Like, is it sentimentality? Describe the profile? Like, no, it's, throw. it's, it's funny you say that. Um, it's, you know, I have a friend who, who runs it and he was like, the garlic's so much better than it. And, but I'm like, but dude, it's a totally different. It's just, it's, it's like telling me Jack Herrera is better than, than GM, than, than the sour diesel or whatever, you know, just like, they're totally different ones. You don't yeah. you know how you compare that um, to one another, but, but my point is, is that everyone has an ideology of what's great. Right. And, yeah. um, to me, this it's a, it's, it's partly sentimental, but partly I've never smelled any variety that smells like this before. It's like got this like lemon pound cake with icing kind of taste to it. And that early on, I'd never. I'd never had something as, as tasty as this. Like it is, it is just mouthwatering. It's high in terpenes. Um, it produces, um, a, it's just the, the resin's really tacky. It's not really greasy. It's really good for extraction. Um, you know, it's, it's above four or 5%, depending on how we run it. You know, it's like four, 4%, 5% typical in, in today's standards as we measure things. Um, you know, so it really checked all the boxes in terms of, you know, later I found about, about the, you know, the percentage, but the, the thing that I really liked was just super tasty and I could roll it up. I could put it into a pipe. I could stuff, you know, stuff it into a ball and, you know, and it just was super beautiful. It had great bag appeal. I mean, it just checked every single box that you could want it to check. And then, um, you know, I'm a creature habit. I, you know, the, the, you know, a lot of the things that I was doing then I was just trying to, to keep quiet and, and, and do my thing. So it was, uh, it was just something I kept and I, I didn't really share it with anybody, but, but a couple buddies that were really close to me. And, um, so very cool. Very cool. So, so building on that, like, you know, we move into the square wave, like, you know, what was sort of same linear chain of thought, like what was the intention there? Like now you, you know, you've got something and, and you want to make something new and, and sort of how did you, what were your motivations there to, to take on that project? So I wanted to make something that was even further in the direction of, uh, extraction, but, but kind of capture this old school Afghani terp profile. And that was more right. interesting than like that was intentional. Um, yeah. but, you know, it's funny. It ended up having, it's funny. Like my, my cousin and I remember when we, we remember like when we first selected it, it had this like Afghani cherry, not like cherry, but like sweetness to it. And over time it's kind of changed. Like even like, I think last year we were a year before we were talking about this, where it, it was definitely more Afghani now. And, and you know, I don't think we can like. Yeah, more earthy more, and, more and earth less more, maybe even more diesel-y if, if that's a thing, okay. so I can call it. Um, right. Even though it's not even related to it, if you look at it on, on uh, Canopedia, um, it's just not related to any of that stuff. But um, 
Yeah. So it was really trying to get, you know, I, I get really into trying to find specific, um, specific profiles. I just really, when I get my mind gets set on it, I, I really, I start searching pretty hard and I won't stop. So, you know, I went back into some of the older seeds and popped a bunch of stuff. And of course, you know, like really 70% of it wouldn't even pop. So what did pop, um, we ended up, I ended up growing more of it and then selecting them. I only got two males from it, selecting those two males and then making more seeds from that. Um, mm -hmm. But then keeping those those males around, we then embarked on the on I embarked on the um, the square wave project, which is the second to last project that I did in in New York before I, I left New York, and um, that was just inspired by a heavy hitting varietal that hashed really well, that tastes really old school, and and embodied some of the stuff that like Shanti Baba and Mister Nice were doing and um trying to trying to search through older stock that we really didn't actually know much about um and sticking to these specific boxes of seeds that we've had for or really pelicans of seeds that we've had for a super long time um because we catalog things by years so that we get them and then we have we catalog them again by breeder and then or back then handle you know what i mean because it was really yeah more uh well, more like that who was the male the, uh, the Afghani. So, yeah, so we, we had searched through, um, a bunch of older, older, older seats that we had, we had been gifted and we selected towards an Afghani looking bridal. Now, did we know it was Afghani? We have, we don't, you know, a lot of these things were, you know, on the form days, like we were just trading lots of different things and, you know, Vic would give me stuff or, um, different segment, you know, Scoosh would send me, you know, stuff, you know, it's just, uh, we would get things in that way. Um, sort of like, you know, if I remember correctly, it's how, um, that's how sub cool selected the original Jack's cleaner was through seeds that Scoosh gave him. If, if I'm remember, rem remembering that correctly, I remember that being like some, either some Colombians, I can't quite remember, but it was something like that, but, um, my point is, is that we didn't really understand as much as I'd like to be like, yes, it was this variety and this is the name of it. Um, you know, they, they were labeled Afghan, uh, one times Afghani and that's, that's mm -hmm. what we grew. And yeah. some of them were like super fat. Some of them were pretty fat, but you know, they could, they were definitely, um, an Afghan. So what were the original F1 characteristics of square wave and, and how far have you taken it subsequently? So the original characteristics of it was more of a hybrid. So it leaned towards more of a, like a, uh, a longer sativa looking plant with a, with a hybrid indica structure with lots of, mm -hmm. lots of like thick branching and lots of, lots of flowering sites. Um, yeah, high, blood sites, yeah. yeah, but it was a really, uh, high calyx to leaf ratio. So that's, and those are the traits that I look for when I'm selecting for what I, for, for, you know, for hashing. So absolutely, those are the variety. That's how we selected towards it. So we tried to select a, a male that was similar and as similar as we could find. And then we, we, you know, paired, paired those together. And we ended up putting, uh, two males together for square wave. Um, and yeah. And then 
then we selected from that, um, same practice, uh, only a few, only, only 200 seeds were gone through. We still, I still have other seeds to go through. So there could be a time when we could revisit some of this stuff. Um, very cool. It's, you know, we just, we have some great selections now, but you never know. I mean, um, you know, Skunk Man Sam would always say, unless you're doing it in, in populations of 2000 or more, that's not a hunt. It doesn't matter. So, yeah. But, uh, but Hey, um, now we can do those types of things. So I look forward to, to kind of exploring that. Very cool. I wanted to, like, I wanted to touch on the New York city garlic that you did. And I think that that is worth, you know, touched on a little bit and talking sure. about the lineage and, and that cross too. Yep. So the New York city garlic was, uh, a Shiva skunk, uh, clone that we had selected that was extremely skunky and, and really, um, just really nasty. It was like just really roadkilly, but, but it wasn't, um, it lacked, I think it lacked some resin production and we ended up, um, uh, we ended up going back into the NL5, um, the Skunk One NL5 tie, and timesing that to an OGKB, and cre- and found a male from that when we did that, and then we selected towards the OGKB, and we hit that back to that mom that that Shiva that we had, and we created that that garlic and that was actually that was that was the it's it's paying homage to where it was made and how long did that take that that whole process that's quite some that's a lot of work three years to make that yeah 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 yeah. and so so is it like street garlic is it yeah absolutely is it like what are some of the characters like is it just a pure is it is it a diesel like how do you, how do you describe it when you describe it to people? It's a very super skunky garlic. It's like a garlic knot. It's like, it's very, it's like as yeah. garlic as it gets. And it's, it's very, it reminds me of like an old super skunk or, um, has that skunky cat piss on, on it too, a little bit. Yeah. You know, when you open a jar, you're like, Ooh, it's weird. You know, it's, it's got a, uh, it's nice. Um, it's a great yielder, um, flowering wise it's, um, you know, middle of the road yield wise, but, but resin wise, it's a, it's a great yielder when you run it. Um, you know, but how long do you have to take it? Uh, that's actually only 10 weeks, man. I mean, I have a friend who likes to run it till nine, but I'm not, that's not me. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know guys like I, I talked yeah. to a few growers and I know guys who do run GMO nine weeks and I know guys who won't take it till 12 or 13. So well, it's teach their own, man. It's, it's, yeah, it's GMO though, I think is a true 12 week bridal. It's like, it's, it's like sour, yeah. sour diesel to me. If you don't run it to its full capacity, it really, it just, it's not the same. It's not the same. Flower. I would tend to, I would tend to agree with you. I think that, I think that there's a funk that comes on in, in the ninth week that, you know, if you're talented enough, I think you can capture jar and then, and then move. But I think like it, as it matures, it, I find it gets more floral as it matures, but then once you jar it. You, you like extract it, jar it, cure it, that funk comes back to it that you're really looking for. So I, I love talking about GMO. I love smoking GMO. I love, I love everybody that grows GMO. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I wanted to ask 
new breeding projects, like new stuff on the horizon. I know, you know, you're super busy and we'll kind of like, I want to touch on that later, but like right now, are you, are you looking to create any new, you know, new, new crosses? Yeah. So, um, yes, uh, we've got a bunch of new things in the works. We're actually, you know, in the middle of setting up, um, a new space now dedicated to, to some, some long-term breeding projects. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been doing that and I've also been working with medicinal genomics on, um, some hop laden viroid stuff, um, trying to well, stuff, I mean, research, um, trying to better understand, um, just all the different amazing things that are at our fingertips in terms of how destructive this thing could be. Um, yeah. you know, and just trying to help, I think collectively find a good path forward to share some information for everyone to, to take, you know. And utilize because, you know, I've said this before, you know, we all want to share great crosses and great cuts, but if we're all passing sick plants to one another, eventually there's not, nothing's going to be left of it, you know? hundred percent, hundred percent, man. It's something that's got to be taken seriously and addressed. And I think, you know, the community is, is obsessive enough that, you know, the, the right people are hearing, you know, guys like yourself you know, yelling from the top of rooftops. And I think people are starting to take notice and, and, you know, if you don't, then, you know, maybe you're not paying close enough attention, you know, cause it's not like guys aren't, aren't putting out that work. So, you know, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, is it like, so as far as breeding projects go, like, um, taking square wave and lemon cake and, and working them into, you know, what people would call hype for idols these days, or are you breeding away from that? And, you know, so we're starting to see, you know, stuff like Cuban black haze come up and, um, a lot of people working with different, different equatorial varietals. Is that, is that a direction that you're going in? Like, what, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So absolutely. I mean, I always search and like, I always, you know, we have a chamber that just focuses on, um, just rare things that we, we obtain, whether it be from land, land race exchange or, or things that we have had in the collection. Um, you know, we're always kind of looking for things. Um, it's a long process to, to start exploring a lot of these, um, you know, these older varietals, uh, to really select and, you know, want to bring them forward into a project. I mean, we, we're just looking at it from such a different lens right now. Like there's like, you know, there's all this testing that we want to do and we want to sequence the genome and understand, okay, so what's here? Why is it similar to other, other plants in this, in the stable? And how is that relationship important to a breeding project, you know, from a, not only a, a touch, feel, smell point of view, like we've always done, but also what's beyond that and what's deeper, what's, what's under the surface here. Um, so we can be intentional, you know, again, like I explained before, but when we were younger, this was just a touch, feel, smell, great intuition, maybe bad intuition too at times. And, um, you know, we're just trying to have a, a better sense of learning. And I think in this day and age of learning, you know, the tools that we have are just tenfold, you know, in terms of, of how we can look at these plants and these, these, you know ultimately these chemotypes and phenotypes. So that's how we're looking at it in terms of, of present days. Um, yes, we're, we're working and looking at, at different and abnormal things, but, um, we also are very in, you know, intentional and detailed 
in terms of, of the data that we're collecting. Cause I okay. ultimately want to make a, make varietals that I can say, Hey, they produce this much resin, you know, and, and, and have an individual go and grow that bridle and bring it into their hash lab and it produce that much resin, um, yeah. you know, by, by volume. And, you know, we're, we're a long ways away from that. Um, but we're working towards it. So leading, like leading right from that, what's like a minimum yield that you look for in a commercially viable hash cultivar? And, um, yeah, over three point six to seven percent. And then in your experience, other than examining the glands late in flower, are there any other indicators, uh, in earlier stages of growth that you have found that would indicate that that plant's going to do well, uh, with mechanical extraction? I mean, you know, the, today it's so difficult. I mean, I'm just gonna, gonna say that it's, you know, you could look at, you know, a tired and true hasher, like a Sunday driver and cross it to a California orange and it just be a totally different world, you know, and, and, and it's hard to know, um, it's hard to know, you know, and I, I think you have to actually go through the motions and put the work in, I think. And, and that's, that's the best way to really truly know. And then ultimately it's looking at your feeding schedule. What are you feeding it? What, what, you know, what enzymes are, are there? What, how is that being up, uptaked into the regiment? And, um, I think there's, there's a way to, to target things, uh, if you're, if you're looking at it from the right, right lens and that'll help give you a better chance, but ultimately your, your room temperature, your root zone temperature, your, um, you know, what you're feeding it and when, um, uh, you know, all those things really contribute also your light spectrum really contributes to, to all this as well. So, so I just say like, you have to look at it from all these angles together and make sure that they're all in harmony. Like your VPD can't be off if you're feeding a great regimen and all these great sugars and there's all this, all this uptake happening, it doesn't matter because you're damaging the plant in different ways. So you really have to pay attention, um, to your, uh, to all these counterparts. 100%. So as a guy who's been doing this for a really long time, what is your thoughts on plant breeders rights and what advice do you give to, uh, guys who, you know, maybe haven't come out in the open yet, who are working on, you know, their own genetics and, and, you know, have the potential aspirations of, of securing breeders rights or, 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 or profiting in some way off of it. Do you, do you, what advice do you have for those guys? Well, I mean, like if you, if you're interested in breeding, I suggest you really study the art and the science behind selection and, and breeding and, and we get into not only cannabis breeding, but understand other forms of breeding, um, uh, from different types of plants and it'll help inform you and help you understand the intricacies that's needed to actually make a successful breeding project happen. You know, yeah, you can collect pollen and throw it together. Like I did when I was a young guy, select really great offspring that way. But 
to go and make a company on that seems um, and feels mis misaligned and misunderstood as to you know what the craft actually is. Um, but what I would say is um, don't lose sight of having fun with it and don't let tell don't let someone tell you you can't breed. Number one and number two, if you're gonna breed, um, test your work, try it. You know grow a bunch of it out yourself and before you, or give it to friends to do that on under the pretense that this is untested gear. Um, and you know, see what, what happens, you know, it's, to me, it's like having an open canvas. That's very deep. So do you feel as far as, um, as far as individuals who want to try to be remunerated from their work? in genetics do you feel that it's too late and you can't really let once you've given sold the seeds or once you've given out the cuts you can't put the 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 cat back into the bag so to speak where you know we we eventually lead into a system similar to dog breeding where there's pedigree and there's there's transactional proof and and payment of you know i'm using this person's male and my female to make this and and do you think that we're leading to that or do you think that there's been just so much interest and so much activity since pretty much the dawn of man in moving cannabis seeds around that it's something that's probably not going to be able to be uh, controlled or contained in that way? Yeah, look, I mean, it's really hard to say that you own a varietal, you know, I mean, where did this varietal come from? A bag seed that you bought from a friend? I mean, and then where'd that come from? You have a story for that too? Um, you know, I, I just think that the stories get a little odd and, and it's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. Um, and what I would say is if you've been successful off of this varietal that's made you successful, there's no reason you can't make a new one. It's to me, it's like music. You've released a dog. It's, it's time to write some new music and progression is, is the thing you need to focus on. And you can talk about how you used to throw a football over the moon, but that's not where you're at today. You know, 100%. my, uh, my, uh, my uncle Rico re reference. Um, I love it. So, you know what I mean? So, so my, my point is, it's like, you know, focus on new things and, and, and progressing yourself and furthering yourself and and use it as a portfolio piece rather than the only thing that you were, you were known for at one time, you know, for sure. Um, for sure. And I think that's, that's the thing to, to look at is, is maybe look, look more internally and, you know, someone's going to take your stuff and make it, make something new with it. Same 100%. as something different. What were the, the three most impressive cultivars either in your garden or, or on your table? that you saw this year that, that really impressed you. And, and, you know, if you know, the cultivator, feel free yeah. to that. I'm going to shout out this guy up in Maine that I've never met before. And, uh, my friend Mitch from Indico, big shout out to them, um, in Maine had, uh, introduced me to this guy, brave boat, boat gardens, uh, his great boat that he has is sorry. What was the straight? <clears throat> grapefruit gelato. That's what he's calling grapefruit it. Grapefruit gelato. Quite sure yeah. the genetics behind this, but, uh, yeah, man. I mean, 
this is this is solid really good stuff um and also again my friend brian um best friend farms he gave me this extremely amazing uh flower and that that just tastes super sour and really really true to form it's just really great so yeah if One you guys more. are up in maine go, go check out you know best friend farms is his flower is awesome farms. that's dope One more honorable mention. Uh, who else? Um, who's the other flower that I've gotten? I don't see any yeah, flower. Flower. Um, it's all right. You know this. Uh, all right. So here, here's another brave boat. Uh, his Stroop waffle. Oh, double shout out for brave boat. Okay. So, you know, I got to ask, do you, yeah. do you, do you smoke? Do you still smoke flag? You no, smoke I, flag? I really, I really don't. Um, I don't smoke very much. Power. I did not ask RJ cause I know the answer to this question. So he's, he, he, you know, he's no, he's I, I unfortunately do not smoke much flower. Um, when I do smoke flower, it's because someone has influenced me in a way that they want me to try it for a very specific reason. And 100%. I will pull out this pipe, which is the only flower pipe that I have, which is my, um, yeah, this is, this is, yeah. That's very, a, uh, Bob you know Snobgrass. Oh, very cool. Um, it's the Bob Snobgrass pipe that I've had since I was a young guy. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you just say, man, young kids never used to, you never, you know, never lived until you've been walking a lot with a, with a sweat, a sweatshirt on that has tie dye ball stains on it. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) with your finger up in your, (laughs) so I want, I want to now, like, I want to kind of, I think that leads kind of into the music. And I think, you know, you've got, uh, you know, you, your, your recording artist name is Calmer. And I wanted to, you know, first ask you about that. Like, is that a, a Calmer, Palmer? Like, how did that name come about? Was that given to you? Did you, <laughs> yeah, it was, did you drink it? Yeah, that was given to me. Uh, and it just like stuck. And, you know, my friends started calling me that, you know, like uh, my buddy, Mike, Michael, DJ Merge, who is a, like a DMC DJ, he used to call me Calmer and and then my, my best friend, Travis, who goes by machine drum as well. And, and, uh, you know, they have, they have a bunch of projects that they were doing. So it just kind of stuck and, um, yeah, I just started releasing music under that and playing shows in New York in, in Brooklyn and warehouse parties there in Brooklyn. Uh, when did that start? Early 2000s. So, you know, I'd go into the city and play shows and, um, you know, I, I got pulled into this whole scene there and I ended up like just getting really ingrained with this whole, um, New York art warehouse slash art scene, you know, music scene, I guess. And, um, you know, just things snowballed. So, you know, that's where I met a lot of these, a lot of individuals that kind of, I still, you know, best friends today with, and, you know, just kind of snowballed from there, if you will. You know, and I That's started cool. and then I played with, uh, you know, I ended up playing with this band called New Villager, which is, uh, you know, more of like a, an art 
slash music uh, project. And we would do uh, installations at places like the Andy Warhol Museum um, and set up sound installations and, and sculptures and, uh, and play music within that um, and do these immersive shows. And we toured on that for quite, you know, for, for a little while, um, you know, we went to Europe and, and did a bunch of stuff and, um, you know, and then I also did sound design for, you know, for a long time. And that's how I was able to do cannabis and all of these things is because there's just, you know, there's no nine to five, you know? So, so like that kind of leads into a question I wanted to ask is like, how has you being a musician and your understanding of music made you a better hash maker or vice versa. Yeah, no, it, it plays off of one another. It, it, you know, to me, it's what, you know, like I've said before, as art is immediate, it, it gives you this like immediate response. Right. And, you know, making music is, is exactly like growing plants. You, you can feel the response. Like it's, it's, it's like, boom, right there. I just watered my plant. You come back like five minutes later and you see them praying. You're like, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's these, seriously, it's this primitive yet expansive feeling that is very similar. And these, you know, look, I never planned for an industry. And I, I just have to say this, like, I was desperately trying to just make music and to just do sound design and to just do that and grow and extract and have my cold room and do the things that I did. And that was, that was like all it was going to be you know, and that's all there was to do, you know? And then all of a sudden things started changing in the 2000s, the late 2000s. It was like, whoa, there's, um, there's like, there's, there's some structure happening of all this. Right. So it, it's really fascinating to me today that we have this, this, some sort of this bubbling to the surface of a, of, of, a, of an industry. And, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful that I get to merge all these things together, like photography and video and, design and you know these are all things that i did because i spent so much so many hours doing it and then i ultimately it's how i paid my bills you know making album covers and you know doing all of those things that was just part of my every day um and then i go take care of our plants and you know go to the spot and you know it's just how 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 it went so, you know, to me, it's, it's really amazing that this all kind of happened. And, um, you know, I'm still that guy on the forums that's like posting and trying to educate and, and trying to share information because I truly think that no one's the best. No one, no one is the best. We are all learning. Um, I am trying to learn as much as I can to iterate, to make new things just as I was when I was 16. There's nothing different except I'm older and I have different the way i look at things is different now um but it is the spirit has always kind of been the same and i i kind of like staying in that that world of discovery i mean it's it pushes me to push myself and the things i create further and and i fail a lot man like i make a bunch of junk all the time because i've i made it too hot or i made it too low and or I mean, it happens like, it's just, it's part of the journey or I, I, I too many, it's, it's too terpy. I don't even like it. Seriously. <laughs> it happens all the time to me. I'm like, yeah, this is too, too terpy. You know what I mean? So these are things that I, I, you know, I'm being, I'm telling this everyone this because I think it's important to know that it's okay to, to, to fail 
And I think that's part of the journey, um, you know, because ultimately you won't one day and you're going to start making great things and it won't stop. 100%. Absolutely. So do you have any upcoming projects with your music? Like, are you working towards, or is cannabis kind of taking a front seat? Uh, yeah. Do you, like, do you, do you find it hard to, to strike that balance between the two? Do you get pulled one way or another dependent on projects or is like part of your sanity, that balance? Like, how do you work that in your life? Like, what does that look like? It's my balance. Um, it's my throttle and my, my, my real <laughs> reality check for me, excuse me. Um, it's really easy to get carried away in your work and the things that you're doing and making music and making sounds that inspire even little grooves that I'll make that are like 12 bars or 18 bars. I'll, I'll do these like, you know, little ideas like these folders with ideas and then I'll, I'll make them bigger ideas. And, you know, for me right now, it's about, um, it's about cannabis right now. It's about research. It's about developing and furthering the things that I've had questions and, um, want answers to right now. Music is my balance to that, but it's not the front seat. Um, is it there to, do I have tons of music to release? Yeah. A lot. Will it come out? Absolutely. But I want to merge the worlds together at the right time. And, um, it's why I don't talk about music as much other than in relation to cannabinoids. And I don't try to say like, Oh, check out my new thing. I'm going to, you know what I mean? I, I just, I don't yeah. know if that's distaste. I feel it's distasteful or I don't what, I just feel like it's it, at the right time. I'll start to do that. And I don't know when, but, um, but yeah, there's a lot of music that's going to be coming out. I know there's people listening that have probably, I know there's some specific, specific people that want me to release music and I, I will, it's just, it it's, I have to get through, um, the next, you know, few months first. And then we'll, when I'm not, you know, when I have more time, but it's, uh, but yeah, definitely I, I'm going to be putting it out and I'll be putting things together. Vessel life science is really evolving right now. And, um, we're, we're excited for the future of that project and you know, where that's going to you know, ultimately end up. Let, let's expand on that. Like, let's, first of all, for the people that don't know, let's, let's talk about what vessel life science is and, and sort of introduce them to that. And then talk about the, the, the projects you got going on. Cause I know you're a really, really busy guy. Yeah. So, um, right now we're, we're working on projects in, in, uh, in several different States, um, and focusing on California right now, um, and getting this project off the ground. Um, and, uh, we're, you know, New York state is a really big focus for us. I just want to reference that it's, uh, the focus right now. And we have a really great team together that, um, you know, we're, we're focusing in on that and getting that done. So it's, uh, I can't wait for that to happen. Maine is a really important. Who, who is, who is Vessel Life Science? Like, is it just you? Is it? So Vessel Life Science is myself. And, um, I just recently brought on my cousin, Zach. So he is now, um, going to be working with me, uh, on, on several different projects. And, um, he's also, um, we also have another company, um, called foundation, um, and foundation is, um, a, a larger subset of individuals that is, um, it, it's, we'll talk about that at a, at the right time, but so, uh, so. yeah. So let's walk it back a little bit. Like, let's go like, first of all, like New York, 
why is New York a priority? Like, what's like, is there's clearly history there? You know, like, talk a little bit about that and and yeah. aspirations moving forward. So New York's really like that's, you know, we know New York really well. It's you know I've been growing hemp there. Um, we've we've you know been involved in the state uh, for quite some time. I've I've lived there for a long time and. Um, I, I want to see the program go off in the right way, and I want to contribute to um, the small mar- farmers network and and create um, good dialogue for uh, for everyone to be able to have a really healthy economy there, and and to make sure that everyone um, you know does their part and and tries to tries to make it something special because it's. Like it's, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be a really hard state. It's there's, it's, it's New York. It's a tough state. Um, but, uh, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of good that can come from this. And I know there's a lot of people that need good medicine. So I think if we can contribute and there's a lot of talent in that state as well. Um, there's a lot of talent in the Northeast. I just want to, I'll just say that. Um, and I think a lot of people either want to come back home, um, like myself or, um, you know, they, they want to contribute, um, who are there currently and, and help build a healthy market. And, and I think that's, that's what we need. We need, we need people that care about the state and care about the program, care about the plant and care about how that's going to happen. Um, you know, from a, just a, not even a communal standpoint, but, a, but, a you know, long-term strategic standpoint, because we, it's, it's going to be hard to onboard that state. So. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and so what, what do you, and what do you have going on in Cali? So California, I've, uh, we're setting up a lab right now in California and we're going to, we can talk more about that. Um, you know, that's okay. Absolutely. <laughs> and not, Absolutely. And at a, de- at a deeper time or a different time and at a deeper level. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're setting up our, out there to do some, some really great formulation. Um, and we're, you know, we're just, we're getting everything set up. We're, we're, we're at those stages right now. So. Very cool. Yeah. And then, then the last, the, the first spot you had mentioned was made. Yes. So we have, uh, we have, we we're, we're working on all these things simultaneously and, you know, Absolutely. cause they all have different timelines. Um, so how's the cannabis scene out there? It's amazing. I mean, it's, it's kind of the, the Northeast, uh, it's like the NorCal of the Northeast, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of great, great growers, a lot of good extractors, a lot of, a lot of good yeah. people up there, um, been doing things for a long time and, you know, maybe aren't, aren't out of the woodworks quite yet fully, but, but are, are super talented and really, really here for the plant. So it's, it's cool. It's a good scene. Very cool. Very cool. Well, and they accept apps, um, med cards. So, oh, very cool. So if you're, it's unique in that manner. So if you're on vacation or if you're up there just seeing a show, you can go to any of these dispensaries if you have, um, even med card. It's kind of cool. Very cool. So do you have a, like, does, does Vessel, is Vessel ever going to be on store shelves? Like, is that a, is, is, is that a desire? It's not really been a desire, but it seems like it's about to happen. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's not really been a goal. Um, you know, it's funny, you know, I, I get this, I get it. I've been asked this a bit lately. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think, you know, brands right now, 
um, you know, to, let's take PAX. I think PAX is a really large, they're a brand I'm, I'm, I'm building. Right. And, um, you know, I think it's important to recognize those things and, you know, it's so early, so I don't want to say that I'm, it's going to be this or that yet right now. It is absolutely our, our incubation house and, and our innovation right now with, with foundation. Um, and you know, we, we intend to deploy our, our, our tech and our, you know, our knowledge into the, into the, the industry that's, you know, in several different ways, whether it's partnerships and, or, or our own GLAP. So that's, that's kind of what I will say is it's, we want to collaborate with everyone and do, uh, and recognize that, you know, we are only so big and we can only do so much. That, I think that that's, that's key. I think that that's, you know, a part of what's the issue up here that we're having. Right, so I think that that's very cool. Uh, I mean, my, I just want to say this, like in no, no other industry does everybody do everything. You know, yeah. you're not, you're not a cultivator, extractor, businessman, retailer. I mean, it's just, it's so, um, you know, so I, I'm, um, personally trying to focus in on what we actually do really well and stay in those lanes to really accelerate, um, and help others help us. So our, what we do, you know, that helps, they do, that helps it's successful on both ends. And then everyone's like, you know there for it you know so yeah very cool all right well i i got only my final questions left so my my my, my last question is like what is your one or two best failures like biggest and best takeaways what what happened was it you know running a a a, a big wash or was it you know a business whatever it was like you know i think that a lot of these interviews and a lot of these times we we come on here and we talk about all of our successes and we talk about, you know, and on our Instagram, we post about all our successes, which I think is fine. But I think that a lot of people trying, you know, on, on the come up, don't understand the amount of failures. And I know you alluded a lot to it during, you know, this talk, but I, I, I want to know from a guy like you, who's seen so much and done so much and been in this so long, you know, what are some of the biggest, you know, lessons that takeaways that you've had that you would want guys on the come up to, to, to hear. First, don't be afraid to fail. Like it's everyone like trying to be perfect. Um, make as many different types of hash go through air drying all the way to freeze drying. I, I think it's important to understand. Um, it's drying. You're, you're doing one faster than the other, but that's super important. Um, I think the other thing is, is truly, you know, try not to get inside of what other people are doing and worry too much about that. Worry about the things that you have in front of you. That's tangible one step at a time, not the whole staircase, you know? So that's, that's what I would say. And, um, you know, um, there's so much time. It's so early. So don't yeah. feel like you have to rush towards anything. Even when you do, yeah. if that feeling's great, but rush towards the knowledge. Learn, 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 learn. Um, don't worry yeah. about the rest. And then Absolutely. my biggest failures. Um, 
Wow. So man, I've, uh, I've done it. I've done quite, quite the number I've flooded my, I flooded my reservoir tank in, in the city once and, um, it poured down on a studio below me. Um, with this guy's like was pretty well-known artist, and it ruined, uh, it ruined, it ruined a lot of things there. And it was oh. like, it was like a, you know, it was like a, tra we had two, really four, four trash cans that we used to have on, on reservoir pump and I would hand fill them. Right. Cause you know, early days. And, um, I remember leaving the hose on and this is before RO water. And so like, we never, you know, this is back, back, back then. Um, and I left it on and I went to use the bathroom and I got caught talking to somebody and I came back in and it was just like, I don't even know how many minutes or maybe 35 minutes. I don't know. Just, just completely, you know, you know, at those times you couldn't make mistakes like that. So I'm, I'm really lucky. But, uh, it was, uh, my toilet or my sink, I'm sorry. in the, the hand sink that I had, uh, was the corporate of it. So, um, check your reservoirs, uh, have lead, have, you know, cutoff points or, or, or cutoff valves and, uh, don't make that mistake. Um, what else I've, I mean, I fried my whole room before, um, that's that's real um i went away and of course you tell your buddy hey come every couple days you know just you know take care of the thing he came once and i came back and everything was like completely just like decrepit and fried so know that even the even even at your best you can be your worst <laughs> you can leave everything perfect and then four three four days everything can be you know 72 hours really you know let's just call it um and then finally um i remember taking in a, a at least this is what it was given to me as this uh, you know back back then who really knows i mean it was a great cut but it was a skunk six clone it was skunk number six labeled number six and I was skating, skateboarding. I like to skateboard. So I was skating down at FDR skate park and I met this cat that I've been skating with a bunch and he gave me these clones and, um, I remember bringing him back and I didn't, I didn't even think about it. I just like took him out, put him in the, put him in, you know, the spot and went upstairs and made food. And I came down like maybe three hours later, I'm like, I started looking at them and I was like, I like actually saw webs on them and I'd already put them next to my other stuff. Right. Cause I wasn't thinking about it. And I totally engulfed this whole place with, with these things. And it was completely my fault because I did not quarantine and I did not think about it. And this is like 15, 20, this is like 18 years ago, but still that was like to this day, that was, that is why my mind is like, I'll never forget that. It'll like it only gives you it, it get you get one shot at 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 that and it'll scar you forever. You know what I mean? It's you know hundred percent. That was a pretty big fail. I did not quarantine. Yeah. 
So, so if there was like one thing you could change about the industry, this is my last, my last question. And it could be as, as myopic as like in New York state, there's this fucking law and I want to change that. Or like, I just want all the chats and rats to leave. Like it could be whatever you want. It's just kind of like what's, what's on your, what's on your mind right now, as far as like something that you think should be changed, you know? Yeah. So here's my take on all this. Like the, I think having all these different walks of life builds a playing field, right? It, it allows levels to the game to be established, right? So I think having people that are interested in what has been going on is good um, because it allows an opportunity for the people that have been spending all their time and, and, and brain power and, and energy and, and investment on, on this, a chance to rise. And, um, I think it's really difficult to swallow some of the rules and regs in some of these states. Um, I think it's really unhealthy in the way that they've been put together and the wrong individuals are brought to draft and, and design these bills. So therefore by design, they're broken and the broken, you know, design, you know, pours out into, um, licensing and into uh, fees and into all these, these things that, um, hinder the people that actually are fit to be doing this, um, no access to do it. And, and I think that's really troubling from, a from that perspective. Um, yes, you do need in my older, if with my older hat on my older self hat, you, you do need investment. Um, but you also need wherewithal in terms of how to like run a, a business, my younger self would say you don't seriously. Um, but I think it's important to, to recognize that you do need someone around you and a team around you to do this. Um, and it's a different ball game and we all have to learn together as, as I have learned myself over time, um, that I think, you know, I'd like to see this ultimately, I'd like to see the rules and regs and the ability and hierarchy of getting a license go away because then it builds a hierarchy and a playing field that allows people a shot. And I think that's something that is not talked about enough and well, it is talked about, but I think it's, it's talked about in a not enough. Yeah. So that's what I would I, say. I know this though. You know, like we need access for people to participate. Um, there's a lot of people that have the the skill set to be here. So I'd like to see more of that. Very cool. I think that's very dope, Colin. I think that's sound advice. Let's uh London, I don't know if you're there, but uh I'm happy to open it up to uh hey, how's it going, buddy? Good brother. Uh, Good. <clears throat> is that a trip? Pets or is that a, a fresh veg plant? Uh, those are veg. Those are uh, about about two weeks away from going into flower tent. Um, I do have a couple questions. Oh, uh, for Colin, Colin, where do you get your seeds from now? Good question. Um, you know, I get my seeds from all over the place. Um, um directly from the breeder most of the time um 
And um, if there was a breeder that I would recommend, um, there's several. I mean, listen, Bodhi, um, you know, Masonic, uh, Matt Riot, um, uh, you know, I think that, you know, Todd McCormick's doing some cool stuff with uh, bringing back the old skunks, skunk bridles and hazes, if you're interested in those. Um, Chris at Relic Seeds has got some great stuff. Um, and, um, Bug Pug is also incredible. His stuff is great for washing and hashing. Um, some of compound stuff is good for washing and, uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting a ton of people, but there's so many great breeders today, man. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's hard. Okay. Last question for you. What is like, you mentioned that you've done a little bit of land races before is there a specific memorable one that you would like to mention or uh that 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 really stood out for you um i'd have to go back in the notes but uh let's see if i can i think is that rj sorry i think some of the coolest stuff that we've run is some of the nepali um region stuff that's been um some of it's had these like purple and pink hues to the, to the flower. And it's been really, it's been kind of cool to see the diversity, um, within that stock because it's really all over the place. I mean, there's like straight finger, you know, Grinspoon style finger, finger, like, you know, sativas all the way to like heady, heavy indicas that are, you know, they're just all over the place. It's really inconsistent. So that region in general. Um, but a lot of the, 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 a lot of the cues and the colors and the resin that we've gotten from those plants are really special. And some of the Iranian stuff too. Also, I, that's been a highlight. Awesome. Well, that's a great answer. Ilya, Ilya, thanks you eight to two. Appreciate it. Jonathan says, hi, I, I, I think, I think it's been an awesome show. I appreciate coming in. And and getting to be sit in the background and nerd out back here has been uh, pretty fun. I think other than that, those were the only two questions that you didn't end up uh, actually answering in the process of, of talking. So I don't really have much else from the audience here, gentlemen. So we I, well, I do have one from Peter. Peter wondered uh, in Peter's future cannabis project if you would be interested in playing us out and tickle those ivories behind you on uh, on the outro. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to say no to things, man. <laughs> Do I have anything I read to say on the outro? <laughs> um, always, man. All right, so. Oh, no, 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 no. No, tickle the ivories. Play it out. Oh, you want me to play? Oh, you want me to tell? I am, I am, I am, I am just sending. I thought you did that base. So here's the thing. If I turn on this stuff, there's a whole, there's a whole <laughs> system here that's going to turn on and I might, I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> well, I think next time we'll have to. Yeah, I don't have a microphone. I'm using the speakers on this monitor, but uh, no. if there's, you know, let's, let's plan on it next time when I have like time to, to turn them on. <laughs> like I have a piano here on to the left of me. There's actually a full piano to the left of me, and I could play. 
but it's not an acoustic piano. I have to hook it into the system. So. <laughs> well, we'll have to try as next time after the problem with that. Um, do you guys have anything else? Peter's clapping. He says thank you for for, for that. We'll, we'll have to get you on it. No, thanks very much for coming on, Colin. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great having you. Good. We all connected on Clubhouse many, many months ago. Um, so it's nice to reconnect and have kind of forever conversations. And, and uh, yeah, it's been great having you on, man. Really appreciate your time. And uh, going to have to get you on some more uh, moving forward. Yeah, anytime. Once we get um, through the new year, I'd love to come back and share some of the, some of the things that we're doing. Um, I think it'd be a great time to do that. Um, could definitely get into a bit more behind the curtain stuff that that we've been doing that we are not talking about right now. So yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, we'll we'll awesome. love the developments. Awesome guys, I'm gonna play the little mini outro that I have, and we'll end the show. Appreciate it. Thanks again. <laughs> Thank you.